it's all about your belief system. Like you have agency in your health outcome. Most people don't. But if you believe your behavior, like and all the things we're talking about here is behavior, it's you doing something will have an impact and you want that impact, then you can move in that direction. It's not about being perfect or being like, I measure everything. You don't have to do all that. <laughs> it fits for your personality type. I mean, some people are a little bit more like... It works for me, but like, I'm not suggesting that you do that. I'm just saying, look in the mirror and just ask yourself, who do you want to be in the future and move towards a vision of that? Welcome to Nutrition Without Compromise, a podcast brought to you by Orlo Nutrition. We believe that nutrition shouldn't be an either or, that you should never have to sacrifice your morals for your health or that of our home planet. Join natural products veteran Karina Belizzi and experts from around the globe as they discuss healthy solutions that are better for you and better for the planet. Welcome to another great episode of Nutrition Without Compromise. I'm your host, Karina Belizzi, and today we are going to dig deeper into healthy aging as I introduce you to my friend, David Harry Stewart. David is the founder and the face of Ageist. He is a passionate champion of the modern 50-plus lifestyle and a leading authority on the mindset and aspirations that drive this influential demographic. As the go-to reference on people in the 50-plus age group, he frequently shares his expertise and insights with major media publications, including the Wall Street Journal, the Times of London, CNN, South China Morning Post, Forbes, and Fortune. He also consults for a wide range of Fortune 500 brands and businesses. David Harry Stewart, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you? Great. Well, first, I'd like to ask you what nutrition without compromise means to you. Oh, gosh. (laughs) You try and eat the best you can to become the best version of yourself. I think you sort of move up the ladder from intentionally harming yourself, unintentionally harming yourself, and you get into like optimizing. That's right. Yeah. Moving up that ladder. So on that topic, I understand that in your history, you've battled some health issues yourself that ultimately, I think, have helped you lean into this whole work that you're doing around ageism, really rebranding what it is to be a modern 50 plus person and leaning into that. So can you talk about that? Can you share your story? Well, yeah, I had a pretty rockin' photography career for about 35 years, and that involved living in Paris, working in Paris, New York, LA, Tokyo, a lot of airplanes, a lot of jet lag. And then in my late 40s, I got this wacko autoimmune disorder. And by the way, all autoimmune disorders are wacko. Doctors, are you break your arm, they're great. You get into this stuff and it's just like, well, you know, we'll try some stuff out. We'll see how it works. <laughs> yeah, take this pill and then we'll test you in 60 days and then do it again. And <laughs> In my case, it was like... <laughs> It was a little more dramatic than that. Yeah. So I spent about a year in a hospital and my disorder was a pediatric blood disorder. And you become like a science project and try a lot of different things on you. And at the end, we went for organ removal. So I, they took my spleen out, which always seemed like sort of a rash move to me. But they were like, listen, like the risks of this ongoing tree, because I was getting every two weeks something called an IVIG, which is venous immunoglobulin, I think is what it's called. So it's a human blood product. 
And they're like, this is uh, risky, continue to take this. And by the way, it's not working as well as it used to. So let's take your spleen out and see what happens. And so that worked. And then I sort of disengaged from that career and I moved to Los Angeles. And then about six years later, I started doing what I'm doing now. Right. Well, let's talk about that. Your work with Aegist. I mean, I've had the pleasure of watching your TED Talk and getting to know a little bit more about it from that perspective, too. But that was already after you'd been doing the work for a while with Aegist. So why don't you talk about what you're working to achieve there and really the inroads that you've made? You know, when we started, I come out of sort of big time communications. So what I was seeing was that anytime somebody talked about somebody in my age group, it was always as if there's something terribly wrong with us. Like there was nothing aspirational about it. It was all like highly medicalized and therefore infantilized. And it was just like, what? Huh? (laughs) I don't understand this. Like, you know, there's these, the insurance videos of the couple in their dockers and their golden retriever on the beach. Like, who are these people? (laughs) I don't get this. Retired at 50, basically. (laughs) It didn't make any sense to me. So we started ageist. I don't fight ageism. I don't think fighting things is such a great idea. You just sort of amplify them if you do that. So what we do is we just show the reality of positive role models that are aspirational, inspirational, and attainable. And we just say like, hey, if you want to live like this, you don't have to live like this. You can do whatever you want. But if you want to, I can show you how to do it. And it's not that hard. It does require some work, but it's not an impossibility. Well, what I found so compelling about Aegist, just the website as a whole, and really what you're working to do there is it reminded me in elements of almost some of the work I've seen with the Humans of New York page, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. Right. Because you're telling deep stories about people who are living real lives. And sometimes it's a second career. Sometimes it's leaning into the first career, but in a new way like where you're telling the story of that Yale professor who now decides, hey, I want to be an architect. I've been teaching it forever, but I want to actually go practice and then move to somewhere entirely new and start the business. People are often going into their second career or their true calling much later in life, 35, 40, 50, 55, 60, and continuing to work in some cases well into their 80s. I have an example of that in my own life where my father-in-law, my mother-in-law, they're already at the 90 age point and they're still working. My father-in-law runs a not-for-profit that he's passionate about and he's co-founded years ago. And my mother-in-law is still selling insurance and she's helping people execute their policies for this later stage of their lives too. She's passionate about doing that. And I think it gives them purpose and also has kept them remarkably sharp. And this is something that people also, I think, They don't realize when you slow down, when you start to say, okay, well, I'm getting older and that means I therefore need to slow down, often their mental health ends up suffering and even their clarity because they're not exercising their brain in the same way. All the above. Yeah. I think that there are people who their jobs are really physically very demanding, very hard, or they, for whatever reason, they just want to like, they want to retire. Okay. I don't have a problem with that. You know, whatever you want to do, that's great. But I think that you sort of want to think that through. If you're going from a highly engaged, like your social life, your peers, your purpose, and you're going to unplug all of that all at once, 
think that through because <laughs> that might not go the way you think it will. Well, and to your point, it's almost like your identity in a way then comes into question because you've wrapped up your social life, your work life, and all of a sudden you're just simply put it to bed. Like, what is that going to do to your mental state? How will that affect your social life? These are big questions. Yeah. Don't make yourself irrelevant. You're not going to like that. And (laughs) I see this a lot. People who I don't care about what's going on out in the world or around me, or I don't need this new technology or whatever. And it's like, you don't, but beware of irrelevance. You're not going to like the way that feels. Well, I mean, you mentioned a couple of statistics in your short TED Talk, which is only 10 minutes. I encourage everybody to go out there and review it because... Terrifying. Can I tell the story of that? Please do. Oh, my God. So, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) I've done a lot of scary stuff in my life, been to scary places, done scary things. That was like probably top five most terrifying things I've ever done. I'd never spoken in front of people before. And that was 4,000 people. And... TED, I speak like all the time now, but TED is extra super duper hard because it's very tightly scripted. You got to stand on the red dot. You got to go like when they tap you on the shoulder and say, go, it's go time. And it's a clock, right? And you have to like do the clock thing. You hit your marks. You got to hit your marks. So what happened to me, I had like rehearsed this thing. I knew this thing so well, like nothing could go wrong because I was not going to be that guy who goes out there and is like, gets like 20 million YouTube hits because I'm crying in front of my, during my TED talk or something. Like, I was not going to let that happen to me. (laughs) So would have been good. I mean, that would have been good too, in a way, right? No, 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 no. For (laughs) impertuity, you're that guy. No, I don't want to be that. So what happens is I I tapped on the shoulder, go time. And I go out there and I start going through my thing and I've got a clicker, right? And they're like, pictures going, I don't know, five minutes into it, the clicker breaks. It just breaks. And so... I'm not quite sure what to do here. <laughs> so, it's like, uh, and I like the tech guy and there are like all these people out there and it's like, there's not one camera, there are five cameras and they're like, you know, around you. And it's just like, guys, this isn't working. And so they did whatever they did and they made it work again. And then I sort of just, because I knew the thing so well, like you could have grabbed me by my ankles and like flew me over that crowd upside down and I could have done that talk. In fact, my wife could have done that talk because she'd heard me do it like a thousand times. And it. so anyway, I did it. So the moral is be prepared. (laughs) Well, and be prepared to even perform when you're terrified, because the reality is I watched that TED Talk twice, three times maybe, and you made it look like it was easy. So you did a great job. It was so scary. After you do that, like right now, people, I was at a thing this weekend and they're like, well, next year we'll have you prepared and you can put you on stage. And I was like, you can put me on stage right now. Like, you want me to talk for 20 minutes? What do you want me to talk on? I can just, whatever. I can just, go, like, I did this other thing. This is nothing. <laughs> It'll be easy by comparison. That's right. That's the topic of another podcast called We Can Do Hard Things, right? <laughs> so one of the points you actually made in that speech, though, was, I think, really eye-opening for me. You said, more people will be over 65 than under five. And at the time you recorded that, it was a few years ago but you said in two years. So we're there now. There are more people that are over 65 than under five. And that's a reality we've never lived with before. So how do you see this changing things in media today? Because I still see a lot of what you talked about, the golden retriever and the old couple walking the bike. So understand that media 
especially commercial advertising media, it's the tail of the dog. It doesn't lead the dog. And I mean, I know that world really well. It is, I can tell you now, when we started our business, we wanted to work with other companies and they would just like run from us like we were some kind of disease. We don't approach companies anymore. They, they approach us. So that's changed. The demographics, the economics of this are just irrefutable. The fastest growing age segments out there are above 90, above 80, above 70, above 60. Not to be crass, but where's the money? It's not in the 20-year-olds. So the communication will eventually catch up. The people in that business have a really hard job because youth marketing is comparatively very simple because it's essentially a monoculture. Young people, I love you, but you have a common understanding. You have a common basis of values and experience. As people get older, that diverges. And the older you get, the more that diverges. If, for people who are used to dealing with sort of a mass, we want, you know, I get this all the time. We want everybody between 50 and 60. Well, like, huh? no, you don't. Find your niche, right? Find your niche, stay in your lane and just do that because it's like radically different. And so it's hard for people to sort of like people in that business to get their minds around that. I think that what is going to become very interesting, one of the things I'm like super excited about is that because people are living longer and there is, there has been a dip in the last like couple of years, like longevity stuff. So because of COVID, because of the opium epidemic and some other things, but that's not to say that there are people living longer and longer, healthier, like your parents. There's a lot of that. So what I think is super interesting to me is that if we increase longevity and we increase health span, we're going to develop, there are going to be new developmental stages in like human life, right? So there's like sort of standard, like between 20 and 30, this happens, or between five and 10, this happens. Well, what happens between 100 and 110? Like, what is that? I don't know. What's between 90 and 100? There's a lot of people between 90 and 100. What is that developmental stage? So that's super interesting is these numbers get put out there. There are going to be new developmental stages that in like human history we've never had before. But then what happens is once you have a lot of people like your parents who are alive, contributing, and what they're doing is they are imparting knowledge and experience to people younger than them, which at scale has never happened before. So what that means is the longer we're alive, the more people we can help, the more contribution we can make. This is one of the sort of like bugbears I have with a lot of the sort of naysayers out there. It's like, well, the more people, more resources, more healthcare burden and uh, more problem, problem, problem. Well, that depends on how you look at it. Well, there's an opportunity in that. There's more health science is really coming a long way. And this is something that you cover often on your own podcast, Super Age, where you're talking about things like cryogenics, cold therapy, all sorts of treatments that we can bring in. We just featured Dr. Ross Pelton on Nutrition Without Compromise. So he's talking about rapamycin and how we can stimulate this naturally in our own bodies and also take a drug that could potentially give us great gains insofar as our longevity and lengthening our health span. And these are things that, of course, many people are going to want to learn more about. 
I know they can do so by listening to your podcast and going to Aegis.com as well. Thank you for the plug. <laughs> well, for sure. I mean, I was even a guest on Super Age talking about omega-3s, which is my favorite topic. But ultimately, I have really enjoyed listening to and reading the content that your team is putting out because ultimately, it's very informative. You're focusing on the science. You're staying targeted on of the moment and then real applications and then sharing the stories of people who are living their best lives, which I just love. So I would love for you to dive in for a moment to some of your secrets to healthy aging, because I'm sure there are a few. And if that is cold therapy or if there's some other things that you're peppering in. There's sort of five, what we call the five big rocks. And then you can sort of fill in with as much esoteric as you want. But there's sort of five things that you got to get right. Number one, top of list, sleep. Figure it out. We could just talk about that for like hours, but I'm just going to keep it simple. Figure it out. If you're not sleeping well, change what you're doing. Change your environment. Change whatever you got to change because you got to sleep. If you're not sleeping, it's very hard to do anything else. So that's number one. Number two, move. (laughs) So get moving. And again, that's sort of a big topic. There's aerobic and strength training and VO max and agility and mobility and all that. But at the bottom, just move. So you need some kind of an exercise. You need a program that you can wing this. Like when you're 20, it's like, whatever, ah, you know, I'll eat donuts and play tennis or whatever. Like it doesn't work at this age. Stay out till 2 a.m. and go to work at eight, you know? No, 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 bad, bad. You can do that then, but It doesn't work all that well then, and it's going to work worse now. What goes into your mouth? (laughs) Subject of this podcast, nutrition. So nutrition, I feel, is highly personalized. I don't like giving a lot of recommendations on that. I mean, there's certain things that you shouldn't eat. But outside of that, everybody's a little different. But again, figure it out. Make sure you're eating the right things. Make sure you're getting tested. I'm really big on testing and tracking you can't improve what you don't know, essentially. So get clear on that. You need to be thinking about de-stressing. I think we all live in this sort of hyped up sort of upstate. And one of the skill sets that people need to develop, people who do this well, is how to move into downstate. So that can involve walking in the park, hanging out with your friends, meditating. There's a whole sort of slew of things, but how to bring yourself into, bring your body and your brain into a recovery state. You can't be full on all the time. The machine's going to break. You need to understand how to do that. And that's a skill. The last thing is purpose and community. And actually this one can sort of overpower all the rest of them. So my favorite example is Jimmy Carter, who's, I don't know, 10,000 years old and has like every disease known to man. And he's out there swinging a hammer, building houses because he has purpose. So those sort of purpose and community go together. And I think that they're essential. So those are sort of the five, what I call like the five big rocks. That's like base level. Like that's 95% of it. If you can get that dialed in, you're going to live longer and healthier than the vast majority of Americans out there. And then you can sort of fill in with what I call the esoterics. So I think sauna is really impactful, the sort of thermal challenge. So that's either hot or cold. 
I like both of those. They do very different things. I think that there are certain sort of supplements and things you can take. Rapamycin was mentioned. There aren't any studies as yet on humans for longevity for rapamycin, but humans live a really long time. So it's really hard. It's impossible to do longevity studies on humans, but it seems like that might work. You know, there's like a number of other things. Nitric oxide seems to be pretty important. Some people are big believers in the sirtuins and NAD and those sort of things. I think that, again, though, these things are like, it's like the last little bit of optimization. Although I would probably put the temperature stuff higher up there. I'm a big believer in forcing the body to adapt does really good things. So let's talk about that for a moment, because I've had experience with sauna. I had have gone through a couple stretches personally, where I worked to do some pretty intense periods of detoxification using the power of sauna for that. And then ensuring at the same time that I'm doing things like replenishing my electrolyte stores, because when you sweat a lot, guess what? This is like being in marathon training in a way, because you're sweating so much. Once your sweat is no longer salty, it's kind of a problem, right? So replenishing your electrolytes becomes important, making sure you're getting your water-soluble B vitamins while you're doing that, and really considering things like foundational support. Because I come from this perspective that's pretty basic. I think I agree with you on get moving, de-stress, get great sleep, ensure your nutrition base is good, that you're getting a good solid base of nutrition. And that can vary by the individual, the activity level, how much protein do you need for your activity level versus somebody who might be more sedentary. That's going to vary on the individual basis. Some people thrive on high protein, others thrive on a higher carbohydrate diet. And a lot of that depends on what they're doing, right? But then looking at a few things that are really critical for most functions of your body, like making sure that you're getting enough omega-3s Are you actually living in a climate where you're getting sun exposure? So you might benefit from getting a vitamin D into your diet. So there's some basics that I think most people can define fairly easily. But then when you talk about something like cryogenics, people get scared. Cryogenics is another thing. (laughs) We're not doing that. No, no. Cryogenics is like freezing. We're not doing that. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) No. The cold baths, right? I've taken the ice baths after running marathons or distance runs, for example, which is just one element of this. But there's a local spot in Santa Cruz that does, like they have the float spas, so you can just literally float for an hour of relaxation, or they also have the cold therapy sessions where you're basically in this thing up to your neck, roughly. So I'm just curious what you know about this. You just released episode 100 of Super Age and you covered this on my birthday. So I gave it a listen, but maybe the one-two punch, that would be really great. When I'm talking about cold, we're talking about voluntary exposure to cold with a desired outcome. We're not talking about like being poorly dressed and shivering outside. So this is something that we're doing consciously to cause some kind of an effect. I've experienced a lot of different flavors of this. So the most basic form is cold water and there are different kinds. So there's, so what we'll do is we'll ratchet this up. The most basic kind is just sort of standing cold water. So like you get in a cold bathtub or something that's may help with your mood. Fun fact, before they had antidepressants, the only treatment they had was cold water. And if you get, cold, like especially in cold water for some period of time you get out, what's going to happen is 
your brain is going to get flooded with all these awesome chemicals and you're going to feel super smart because the neuroadrenaline is going to go. The rest of the adrenaline is going to go. You've got all these happy chemicals going. You're going to feel amazing. So the cold, you can do standing cold water, sort of semi-effective. Then there's these sort of tubs you can get into that are commercially available that have moving cold water. So 50 degree, 40 degree, 32 degree, much more impactful. Because if you're in just sort of standing cold water, what happens is you build up this thin layer of warm water around your body. But if the water's flowing, that doesn't happen. So I found like 40 degree flowing water, pretty impactful. I've got maybe two minutes in that before my toes and my hands start to really hurt. And I get out. The people like athletes tend to really like the cold water experience or like ice, like getting in a tub of ice. I'm just making up what I'm saying here. I don't really have any scientific evidence to this other than what I've seen. But athletes tend to like that sort of thing. It seems like what happens is there's sort of an anti-inflammatory effect from the cold. I trained with some Olympians here and they're like, their coaches won't let them go into the ice because they want them to train with the uncomfortability of muscle soreness. But once in an event, they just love the coaches like, okay, you can go in the ice now. They just love that. Because it reduces the recovery time significantly, speaking from experience here. Yes, absolutely. No question about that. So one of the ways that works is your body to keep you from freezing to death, all your blood sort of goes to your brain and your organs goes into your core leaves the extremities and your muscles and your bones. They're not essential. But then when you get out, there's this rebound that happens. So then all the blood goes whoosh into these outer parts, including like it flushes through your muscles. And so that seems to be where the real benefit happens is all this blood and nutrient goes into these injured places at a higher volume than would otherwise happen. Then there's the other kind. So that's cryotherapy. And there are two flavors of cryotherapy. And do you want me to keep talking about this? I can talk about this forever. Yes, I do. I am actually really curious about the difference because I automatically jump to cryogenics because I have the cryo word, which is we're not freezing people. That's not what we're doing. But yes. So cryotherapy involves super chilled vapor of some kind. So there's the head out. Don't recommend those. That's liquid nitrogen. Those are actually, I think, probably the most dangerous because the pipe that puts the liquid nitrogen in, like if you touch that in some way when you're in there, you're going to get a lot of damage to your body. Freeze burn, basically. A really, really bad one. Yeah. Like you're going to have to go to the hospital and have like tissue removed. The other thing is it's nitrogen. So if the minimum wage attendant who's there decides to go out and like do whatever for a few minutes, for some reason you fall into the thing, right? And you breathe the nitrogen That's a very bad outcome, but they work. Those are sort of the original ones. The other ones are full body. So now what you're doing is you're in a capsule and it's very cold air. So it's just regular air and you're breathing it. And those are like minus 180 to minus 220. What I've noticed is the cryotherapy was actually developed in Japan for people with osteoarthritis. And I have noticed with people who have osteoarthritis that the cryo works really well on them, whereas the cold water doesn't work as well. Athletes seem to want the cold water version, like the ice or the water. And I think it just sort of operates differently. I do know that the people with osteoarthritis have told me that what they'll do is they'll go in and it's not an immediate relief. It's like the next day. I have a friend 
who has pretty bad problems with her hips. And she was like living on ibuprofen and last six months, no more ibuprofen. She just goes to cryo once a week. She's a happy camper. So that I'm not saying it works for everyone. For this person, it works. Personally, cryo to me is not as impactful to me as the cold water, like the cold. And I'm going to tell you a funny story. So I live in Park City and in the winter, it gets a little chilly here. Right. And we have this insane sauna in my gym where I want to know how it was. And I brought a meat thermometer in to like test it. My meat thermometer broke at 186 degrees. So I don't know what the temperature is, but it's more than that. It's crazy, crazy hot. So we go in there for like 15, 20 minutes is about all you can stand. And, and then you go out in the winter, it'll be 10 or 15 degrees. And then we take one of the dumbbells and we break the ice in the pool, pull the ice away. You got to get the ice away because you'll cut yourself on the ice and you go down in the pool. And so that water is like 32 yeah, it's the same temperature as ice. <laughs> same temperature as ice, yes. So I can only, my record on that is like a minute, but then you leave and, and that, boy, do I feel like, give me a math problem to solve, like, because my brain is just like, go, 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 go. All right, that's all I know about cryo. <laughs> You're telling me in a way that I need to get back in the water again. I'm a scuba diver and one of the coldest dives near me is at Monastery, which is in Carmel. And this is the closest to the shore that the shelf is this deep. It's almost two miles there. It's a very, very deep welling. So we get this upwelling of very, very cold water. And when I dive that site, it's routinely in the mid 40s, like 46, 48, something like that. And the thing you notice when you get down there at depth is that your face just gets really, really cold. But you know, you're going for a half hour, 45 minutes doing your dive and you're wearing wetsuit. Many people go dry. I just have my hood and my wetsuit. And I will say coming out of that water, you feel invigorated for certain. My travel editor swims in the North Atlantic in a swimsuit. She wears things in her hands, her feet, and she's got a little rubber cap on, but year round. She doesn't miss a day. I don't know. That's a little cold for me. But you know, the people I know that are from the Puget Sound area that scuba dive, they go to Hawaii. They don't bother wearing wetsuits at all. They'll just walk right in with a t-shirt and be down for an hour dive and it's no problem. Even in 70 degree water, I'll get cold at about an hour into a shallow dive. So I tend to wear even just a little shorty, but that is what it is. I am curious if there are specific supplements that you're taking every day, what they might be, because I know that you're going through your own health journey. And I also know that you use a fitness tracker. I happen to have seen quite a few videos of you online showcasing that. So can you tell us about those things that you're doing to optimize your health journey? Okay, let's start with the fitness trackers. So I use two kinds. I wear a Whoop and I use the Whoop to accurately track my sleep. The Whoop is the most accurate that I know of. I've tested all of like Auras and Garmin's and Apple Watches and all that. I think the Whoop's the most accurate because it collects the most data. It's what pro athletes, it's, it's a Whoop. I've never actually heard of it, so. <laughs> oh, yeah, here, I, it's that. So it doesn't have a thing on it. It just does like one thing. Okay, it just does it very well. It does it very well. What none of these will do though is... There are two other things that I'm really interested in, which is my HRV, my heart rate variability, which will tell you how much stress your body's under and how much stress you can put on it. It's important that that be done, that you use a device where you're doing it the same time of day, every day, 
And Apple H every year is like Planet Apple. I don't even know what it's talking about. Even the Whoop uses this funny algorithm on it. This sort of averages it over the night. So I use something called an Amorpheus. And its sole function is to, I wake up in the morning and check my HRV. Same time every day. And then when I exercise, none of the optical ones really work well. So that's Apple, Garmin, Whoop, any of them, Bora. Because what happens is when your heart rate starts going, they lose the plot. They just can't. Because what they're looking optically at the blood vessel so what you want is a chest strap that works electrically. Again, use a Morpheus one, but a Polar makes them any of the electrical ones. Because what I want to know is you may feel uncomfortable, you may feel a certain thing, but what you really want to know is how fast is your heart going so that you can do actual zone training. Like you can do, are you at your aerobic threshold? Are you getting close to your max heart rate? You want to know these things. So I get very tracky with that stuff. But as a result of that, I'm in awesome shape. I'm <laughs> I'm really strong. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've optimized that. I mean, I think I've seen you pulling weights across the floor, doing all the exercises, box jumping, the whole thing, right? You got to be smart about it and know what you can do on a certain day and what you can't. And when you need to like, again, that sort of downstate, you know, the supplements that I take, I adjust. As I learn things, I change. I take Orlo every day because I think omegas are really important and it's hard to get them. I monitor my vitamin D. I want my, personally, I want my D level between 50 and 100. And so I check my D level like every three or four months. Yeah, I want to point out here because people think, oh, well, I have to go to my doctor for all these things. Some of these tests are available over the counter and they aren't that expensive. Vitamin D is one of them. I think it's like 20 or $30 depending. And it's also because of how awesome our health insurance is these days. Unless you request your doctor to test it in your physical he probably won't. And he's just going to say like, well, you know, just take like 600 IUs or something. That's just asinine. Yeah. Which, I mean, it's just, you're shooting in the dark. I personally, it's one of those issues I have with our medical system, but my doctor understands the importance of vitamin D in particular for women as it relates to bone health and osteoporosis. She's of the mind, yes, that minimum of 30 is really just like, are you completely deficient? And because I have Mediterranean descent, even though I tan really nicely, I don't tend to make vitamin D as well from the sun, even if I'm exposing my inner arms and my belly. It just don't very well. And so I take at least a thousand IU a day. And when I don't, when I forget, my levels test low. Anti-aging medicine tends to want you to be kind of at that 80 mark. If you can get to 80, what is it? UL per ML, something like that. That's great. The 50 to 100, it can be hard to maintain. I haven't calibrated it since I've been taking Orlo, but with regular, like when I've been taking just a regular vitamin D supplement, so it's a D with a K. If you're going to take a D3, you got to say, make sure there's K in there. I was taking, mine was like in the high 30s and to get it over 50, I had to take 10,000 IUs a day for about six months. It takes a long time to move your vitamin D level. I went down to 5,000 and then my level dropped to like 45. So now I'm back to 10,000. Well, and again, it depends on your activity level because there's certain nutrients that you will just burn up. And so it's like iron stores. Are you, do you have to take an iron? Have you checked yours? I'm curious. Hold on. <laughs> I'm nerdy. I keep all the shit in my phone. Yeah. And the reason I bring this up for everybody listening, like when you're very active and you're building muscle and you're doing a lot of activities that are strenuous and that kind of stretch you to the point of your body's ability, you tend to actually, your body will consume iron. And that means that even if you are a male and even if you are a postmenopausal woman, that you may not be getting enough. 
And that can lead to other health complications and low energy and ultimately just feeling like you're scratching the surface of living. I put it that way because people don't necessarily sometimes understand that they're feeling low or that they're feeling depressed because their nutrient balance is off too. Yeah. I mean, one of the companies that I work with is Inside Tracker. And so I get 48 of my biomarkers measured every quarter. Majority of Americans are low in magnesium. So you make sure you're getting tested that. That's a pretty easy one. I take calm before I go to bed. It just helps me sleep. Word to the wise about calm. The recommended dose is two teaspoons. I would start at one and I would not go above two because I have done that. And I'm going to tell you, you're going to have a very close relationship with the bathroom for the next couple of days. Yeah, it's a laxative effect. That's true. I actually took it for that reason during pregnancy because it was both kind of the replacement for my evening glass of wine. I actually would make it into a tea with chamomile and drink that before bed. And it helped keep me regular, especially in that third trimester, because you can start to get a little plugged up. So, and I only did one teaspoon too, even then. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking like, oh, well, you know, I'm a little uptight and I need a little more. And then it was like, oh, don't do that again. <laughs> right. Well, it just depends on the form of the magnesium. Other important thing, like if people are suffering from night cramping and things like that, like especially women as they go into menopause, sometimes that can alone help with that because you're essentially looking at the release cycle of the muscle. The muscle contracts using calcium and relaxes using magnesium. So important to have both nutrients, but it's not just calcium that impacts bone health either. Magnesium also has a role, interestingly. I take a multivitamin just because I want to make sure I'm getting all my trace elements. Nothing fancy. I take something for my eyes and I'm going to mispronounce it. It's spelled L-U-T-E-I-N. Lutein. Lutein. Yes, I always mispronounce that. I take a CoQ10. I take a couple of brain health things. I take one called Cognizant and I take another one called Percepta. And I got both of these from my buddy, Rudy Tanzi, who's head of neurology at Mass General. And when Rudy tells me, take this, it's good for your brain. It's like, okay. <laughs> I'll just take it. <laughs> I don't question it. I try to make sure I get some probiotic. You can take a supplement. I think kimchi probably works pretty well because it's prebiotic and probiotic all in the same mouthful. Yeah, fermented foods are a great source for probiotics. And there are plenty of fermented foods. It's been on the rise. I also like drinking kombucha. So you can get some of your probiotics that way. Pickles? You got to get the right kind. You got to buy the refrigerated kind. If you're getting the ones on the shelf, that's something else. No, that's right. The shelf-stable ones are a little bit questionable. That's just vinegar. <laughs> well, I just so appreciate you taking this time with me today, David. I was hoping that you might share just your perspective on what piece of advice you would give to somebody who's listening to this particular podcast, made it to this point, and wants to know how they can ratchet up their health. What one thing would you leave them with? It's all about your belief system. Like you have agency in your health outcome. Most people don't. But if you believe your behavior, like in all the things we're talking about here is behavior, it's you doing something will have an impact and you want that impact, then you can move in that direction. It's not about being perfect or being like, I measure everything. You don't have to do all that. <laughs> if it's for your personality type. I mean, some people are a little bit more like. It works for me, but like, I'm not suggesting that you do that. I'm just saying, look in the mirror 
and just ask yourself, who do you want to be in the future and move towards a vision of that? And that's your vision of you, not my vision of you or your version of me or any of that. No, it's you of you. And imagine how the best version of you is and behave in a way to cause that to happen. And you will cause that to happen. Easy as that. I love that. So thank you so much for joining me today. I want to remind all of our listeners that you can find out more about David. You can listen to his podcast, Super Age, and find it anywhere you listen to podcasts. And also visit ageist.com. I've had the joy of writing a few pieces for the publication, including telling my personal story of leaving smoking behind and how omega-3s actually helped on that journey, which is a topic I had been shying from, particularly because it's a little revealing. I don't like to share with people as I'm in this health space. I used to be a pretty addicted smoker, but it's something that I think can help a lot of people on their own journeys as well. So if you are curious, you can find that also on Aegist. So David, where else would you prefer people connect with you? Because I will include links with show notes. You can knock on my door. I'll put my at, no. <laughs> Park City. <laughs> I'll come knock on that door and we'll do the sauna. Drop that huge pound kettlebell on your pool, jump in the ice water. I don't think I'll be doing that anytime soon. Happy to bring anyone who wants to join me in the ice in January. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, I will include links to everything we discussed today with show notes. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been fun. Appreciate it. Now, before we leave, I want to be sure to remind everyone, you can always find details about the items we discussed today, as well as links and complete transcripts, including the video version of this podcast at orlonutrition.com on the podcast page. Anybody listening can also receive an extra 10% off their order simply by using the coupon code NWC10 at checkout. That's NWC for Nutrition Without Compromise 10 at checkout, the number 10. Now, you can find out more about David Harry Stewart at ages.com and also by listening to the Super Age podcast. You can even find the episode I guess it on. For anyone super interested in this whole conversation around cryotherapies, you can listen to episode 100 and learn all about it. Now, if there is anything that you'd like to say to me or to David, you can always reach out to us at Orlo Nutrition in social spaces or by sending an email to hello at orlonutrition.com. I'll be sure to share any questions with David and get right back to you. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope that as we close today's show that you'll raise a cup of your favorite beverage as I drink a cup of tea here and say, here's to your health. Thanks for listening to Nutrition Without Compromise. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to learn more, visit orlonutrition.com and join our mailing list. You'll gain access to complete show notes, features, and informative blogs because nutrition shouldn't be an either-or. 